All right, let me pray for us before we jump in. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, just getting to be here with family. God, thank you for the truth of that song, God, that at the cross, um, God, you took our, our sin and our shame, God, and in this great exchange, God, you gave us life. You gave us forgiveness. You showed us love. So thank you. God, thank you for that. God, may we see that clearly today and how that impacts our purpose. God, we love you, and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. So for the last couple months as a youth group, we've been looking at a very simple question, as you see on the screen. Uh, what is the gospel? And you may think that's, that's a really basic, and it is. Um, but you'd be shocked uh, to know how many people can answer that question in, uh, in a way that really makes sense, right? And this is, this is, the gospel just means good news, right? It's the central truth about God's love for us and God's plan for salvation in the world. And you'd be shocked how many kids specifically, that's my world, but how many adults that sit in pews just like yourself can't answer that question. And so we, we've been working through that. So we looked at four different things. First, we asked, who is God? Number one, who is God? Steve, can we put these up as we go through just so we can see? Number one, who is God? First, he's holy. Uh, and that just means that he is perfect, right? He is, he was before all of us and he existed and he was perfect. And he was separate from anything that was against him, right? So he was holy. Second, he is our creator. Uh, so that means he created us individually and he created everything that we see, right? So he, that means he knows how it works. He knows how it's designed. He knows, he knows what's best. And because he's our creator, he can tell us what to do. All right? That, that's what he means. But he's not an evil creator. He's a good creator, right? He had good intentions. He had good plans. And he, he knows how things work. And third, he is righteous and loving. Uh, we took a little poll with our youth, and they had to list three words that they would use to describe God. What are the top three words you would use to describe God? What, do you, what would you guess is the number one word? Somebody. Love, right? That, that was overwhelmingly the number one word used to describe God. And that's how our culture thinks of God. But he, scripturally, he's both righteous and loving at the same time. And righteous just means he can't let sin go unpunished, correct? He's, he's fair, he's just. And sin has consequences, right? So he's righteous, he won't let sin go unpunished, but he's also loving, desiring that sinners would be forgiven. How can he be both of those at the same time? We'll see that clearly. So that's a little simple way of describing who God is. Second, who are we? Who is man? Here's, here's who we are. We were, we were created. We didn't think ourselves up. We didn't imagine this whole world. We didn't make the rules. We were created by God. But we weren't created evil. We were created good by a good creator. He made us on purpose, and he knows how we are. He knows how we function, and he knows what leads to life. We were created, though, with choice, correct? We were given a choice between two roads, right? We, were, we, we could choose God's way, and he said, choose my way and it'll lead to life. He said, or you can do your own thing. You can do your own thing, but it's not going to lead to life. It's going to lead to death. And we as humanity, starting with Adam until today, we chose rebellion against the king, the maker of the universe. We chose our own way. We said, God, you don't know what's best. We know what's best. We're going to choose our own way. That's what sin is. And so what happens is that affects all of us, every person in here, myself included. We're all affected by sin 
And the ultimate course of sin's uh, path is death. The, the just punishment from a righteous God against sin is death. We talked about it as, as a youth group how sin is like cancer. Think about this with me. Sin is like cancer. Cancer starts when one DNA strand has a little mutation in it and gets off. It's just a little mistake. And then that changes the cell. And that cell no longer listens to the body, and it divides and divides and divides and grows and grows and grows. And it doesn't listen to any instruction from the body telling it to stop growing. And that cancer grows and grows and grows, forms a tumor, spreads throughout the body. It has one goal, to take over. It has one goal to take over, and the ultimate course of cancer, if left unchecked, is what? Is death, right? If we don't do anything about it, it will take over. And that's how sin is, right? It starts so small. But in the end, ultimately, it leads us down this road that we don't want to go. It leads us to death. Now, God just sees that, sees our rebellion, but he doesn't just do nothing about it. So third, what is God's response to that? So we talked about who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is, uh, see, when we put that up, who is Jesus? Somehow, in some unbelievable way, he is both fully God and fully man. He was with the Father Fully God and fully man. Somehow one plus one equals one. And it's mind-blowing to think. But God sent Jesus, number two, to be our Messiah. And the word we used to describe that was hero, right? From the very beginning of Scripture in Genesis, we see when once sin enters the world, God has this plan to go and send a hero, a Messiah. Someone who would come and crush the serpent's head, who would, who would eradicate that cancerous sin disease, Right? Now, the question was all throughout Scripture, how was he going to do that? And we see that ultimately Jesus comes to be the suffering Lamb of God. That's how he's our hero. Um, remember with me back to Exodus, your, your childhood years studying Exodus and, and Sunday school and children's church, right? Or maybe recently. But God's people had been slaves, correct? They'd been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. That means everyone who was alive at that point, they had been a slave to a king who was not their own their entire life. It's all they had ever known. They didn't know anything of God's promised land. And God sees that predicament, sees their slavery, and he says, I want them out of that. I want to set them free. And so how does he choose to do that? It was through Passover, right? He said, I want, you to, I want you to slaughter a perfect spotless lamb and take some of the blood and put it on your doorpost. And when the angel of death comes through, if the blood's on the doorpost, you're saved. And if the blood's not there, then the firstborn son dies. So they do this, Passover night, and the angel of death comes through. All, most of the Egyptian sons are killed, right? But the, the, the ones who believed in Israel and put the blood on the doorpost, they were saved, correct? And this was a picture of what Jesus was coming to do. He was going to be that suffering lamb of God. He was going to come and take that just punishment that we deserved on the cross. He was going to be that lamb who was slaughtered. And if the blood is applied to our lives, then what happens? We're saved, right? We're saved. If, if we don't have the blood, then we're not saved. That's how it works. That's how he came to be the hero, the Messiah for us. But it doesn't stop there. The, the gospel doesn't stop there. Sorry, it was loud. We have a response, right? So number four, what is our response? And, and biblically, it's one thing in two words. Yeah, Byron, that's, two, that's three words. Yeah, you're right. What is our response? Repent and believe. We talked about how it's like a coin, it's like two sides of one coin. You can't just have one side of a coin. There's always two sides, and you've got to take the whole coin. You can't just take heads or tails. You've got to take the whole thing. It's repent 
and believe. And so we won't, if we try to repent without believing, then that's just cleaning up our life. That doesn't do anything. We'll always fail. It's trying to earn our salvation. If we try to believe and not repent, then we really don't believe, right? Because if we believe that God's way is right, then we will turn from our sin and turn to his way, correct? So this is simply, you may say that's not very simple. Well, in my mind it was simple. Um, That's the gospel. That God, God is perfect. We are not. He sees that and he intervenes to fix it. And if we put our faith in him, then we're saved. And so what we did with the youth is we took that simple truth that is the core of everything that we believe as Christians. And then we tried to apply that to different areas that are very practical, very real for them. So we talked about dating. How does, how does if you're going to claim to know Jesus and claim to love God and know, understand the gospel, how does it affect how you date and marry? And then we talked about this, this popular Netflix series called 13 Reasons Why that deals with some very dark issues. And we tried to understand that as Christians, as gospel people. So what I want to do today in the same vein is take the gospel, the simple truth of that, and apply it to this question. What is our purpose? What is our purpose? And really, I was thinking of our seniors um, as I prepared this, but the more I prepared, the more I thought about all of us, that we all ask that question in all different areas of our life, in different seasons. Like as a, as a college student, what is my purpose? As, as a young married, what is my purpose? How do I deal with this situation? Uh, as an empty nester, okay, now what is my purpose now? What is this? Like we're all asking that question of what is our purpose? What does God have for my life? What's God's will? Man, I, I've, I asked that question for a lot of my 20s. And, and I guess I still ask that question sometimes. Okay, what am I supposed to be about? What, now that I understand the gospel, and now that I'm a Christian, what, what is my life supposed to be about? And uh, I'm going to share some of my story as we go, but I think more important is to look at Scripture. What does God have to say about how the gospel affects our purpose? So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it'll be on the screen too. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 11. All right. It says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, if we are crazy, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. Here's the key, one of the key verses, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Your, verse, your version may say compels us. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The old man is dead. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, 
and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So just before this passage, and what I want to do is just take, take a couple of verses, read them, talk about them. Take a couple of verses, read them, talk about them. Uh, the start of this has a therefore, and so an old preacher always told me, you got to know what is there for. So if you go back and read right before this, Paul is, is talking about, um, he's giving the Corinthians this reminder of this sure hope that they have in heaven, right? That no matter how bad things get on this earth, we know that ultimately we're going to be with the Father, everything will be made right, and we have this confidence about our future. Uh, now, some of you may have that same confidence about on this earth, right? You, you're like, I know where I'm going. I think, I think high school seniors are the, the best example of this sometimes because they read their, uh, their list off at graduation or here in front of the church. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this degree, and I'm going here, and then I'm doing this, and then I'm, I'm going to... They lay out their whole life, right? They have this extreme, naive confidence about their future, correct? Right? And some of you may have that too. Uh, some of you may have the opposite. Very little hope. Very little direction. Very little purpose. You're just kind of floundering, you know? I just... I'm here, I know I'm eating this for lunch, but I don't know what's happening after that, right? So we're kind of all over the place on this earth. But he's reminding us we have this hope in heaven. And he says this before we ever jump into it. He says, even though you long for that day, even though you have this hope for heaven, and you just can't wait to be there, he says, you're responsible and held accountable for how we live this life on this earth. You're responsible for how you live your life, how you use your breaths, how you use your talents, all those sorts of things. We're responsible for that. And so to those that are young in the room, like your future is ahead of you, right? You've made very little major life decisions up to this point, correct? Like the biggest decision you've made so far, I don't even know, right? Very little massive life-changing decisions. So hear this today, right? Like how you live your life matters. Seek, if you're going to claim to know Jesus, seek to live it in a way that honors God. Every decision along the way. Right? So, but, but to those that are old, he's also speaking to us, right? I'm not old, sorry. I'm trying to, I'm 29. I'm not old. I'm thinking about it, but I'm starting to lose a little hair. But to those that are old, this also applies, right? If you're in this room today, you're alive. Earth, earth, right? You're alive. You have breath. And what that means is that God still has a purpose for your life. Right? You're not done. If you were done, you'd be with the Father already. If you're alive and breathing today, God still has a purpose and a plan for your life. No matter how old you are. No matter how young you are. So let's jump in to verse 11. Let's read 11 through 13. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others... But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, if we are crazy, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. 
be helpful for you to know a little bit about Paul and his relationship with these people that lived in Corinth. Uh, they really didn't have a great relationship. Uh, they had had, they had butted heads. They had had some contentious fights. And Paul's letters to them are, are pretty uh, truth-filled. Like he's just getting to the point, calling them out on their sin. So some of them had rejected him. Even though Paul had lived before them, lived out the gospel, he had preached the gospel, he'd been very consistent, they had rejected him. Um, they thought he was crazy. They thought he was a little too radical, taking things a little too serious. And so they didn't really, uh, they had kind of written him off. Why? Because he didn't live his life to please them. He wasn't controlled by what they thought of him. He didn't, he didn't live out his purpose on this earth based on what other people thought of him. No, 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 no. He was something different. Uh, and so Paul is using his life here as an example for us. Um, when we seek out, okay, what is my purpose in this? What, what am I supposed to be about? What do I do? We, a lot of times, and, I, and I'm guilty of this too, we base it on how other people are viewing us, what they're going to think about that decision, how they're going to respond to that decision that I quit that job or that I moved there or whatever. Like we, we live our lives in sometimes to please other people. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. It's not about the outward appearance. What matters is the heart. What matters is our heart towards God. He goes on. He's going to talk about the heart. Verse 14. He says, for the love of Christ controls us, compels us. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. For the love of Christ controls us. I think what Paul is saying in connection with those others is, is no, 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 what you think about me doesn't control me. What, what the worldly measures of purpose and success are, that doesn't control me. That has no impact on how I'm going to live my life. What is going to control me is not my desires, not my sinful flesh, not what you think. The love of Christ controls us. See, the love of Christ, I think he has two uh, thoughts in mind here. It's the love of Christ for me, and it's the love of Christ for all, right? Because Paul had experienced this love that even though he was literally killing Christians, Christ came to him and loved him. He had experienced that, but he also knew that God's love extended to all. Gentiles included those who were hated by the Jews. And so he's, he's saying this, that because Christ has loved me by dying on the cross for me, taking the penalty of sin that I deserve, man, my old life is over. So really I think what he's getting at is this. When we're, before we ever are saved, before we ever know Jesus, what controls us? What, what makes decisions for us? All sorts of things, but we can summarize it with this. The, it's the power of sin over our life. That we're going to choose our own way, not God's way. That guides us and makes every decision for us. We're, we're guided by our desires and our lust and all these pleasures. Right? And he's saying, no longer is that true. If I understand the gospel, what controls me is the love of Christ. The love of Christ for me and for the world. And this becomes the single driving force of what our purpose is on this earth, right? The love of Christ. Now, part of my story. I remember reading these verses as a 23-year-old. Um, I was living in Midland, Texas. 
I can remember the slot skis I was sitting at on Midkiff Drive. And I remember the booth I was sitting at. It was an evening. I'd gone to eat that night after work. I was by myself. I brought my Bible and my journal. And I was in this season of life where I didn't know left from right. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. I was trying to, trying to follow God, but I didn't really know what he had for me. And I was an engineer, but I didn't really... I didn't really feel like that was what God had made me for. I didn't love it. Um, I didn't care about it. And I can remember sitting in that booth that night at that slot skis in Midland, Texas, corner booth. Could take you there right now. And I remember reading these verses, 2 Corinthians 5, and specifically verse 14. It's underlined in my Bible. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And I read those verses, and nothing had ever been more clear in that moment. Wait, wait, no. I've concluded that too, that Christ has died for me, Christ has died for all. How can I continue to live my life for all of my own purposes? How can I continue to try to build Byron's kingdom when this so clearly says, no, 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 if I'm alive, it's not so that I can live for myself so that I could live for him, right? And I, nothing had been more clear until that moment. Now, let me say this. I don't think when uh, Paul was just writing this for me, I think he was writing it for all of us, not just the Corinthians, not just for Byron, for all of us, so that we would look at our lives differently. That once we know Christ and the love of Christ for us and the love of Christ for the world, we don't, we don't ever live the same. We don't live just for ourselves. I don't mean we all need to go to seminary and be a youth pastor, right? I don't mean that we all need to move overseas to another country because I think he's going to show us what that means very clearly here in a sec. But it might mean those things. I'm not discounting that. But let's, let's go. Let's find out what the purpose is. Verse 16. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So he's continuing this, that there's this, there's this worldly approach to success and purpose and calling and how we live our life. And he's saying, no longer do I regard you according to the flesh. I don't, it doesn't matter what you do. Whether you're an engineer, whether you're a youth pastor, whether you're a plumber, whether you're a teacher, whether you stay at home mom. He said, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh. That doesn't matter. We regard them according to the heart, just as he said earlier. Because the worldly approach is this, to, to, to purpose is get rich, get pretty, get on top, be a success. That's, that's, the, ugh, that's the undergirding motivation for so many people. And he's saying, no, 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 we don't judge our lives based on those outward measures of success. Our only aim in this world, wherever we go, whatever we do, is to be controlled by the love of Christ, whether I'm a plumber or whether I'm the president. It doesn't matter. He keeps going. Verse 17. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old person is dead. Behold, the new has come. So he's saying we used to be controlled by all these sorts of things, but now we're controlled by the love of Christ. We used to be controlled by our pleasures and sin and all those sorts of things. And now 
We're controlled by the love of Christ. There is this definite marked change between the old man and the new man. And the new man has these desires to honor God and be controlled by Christ. Keeps going. Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, reconcile is not a word we use all that often because most of us don't balance our checkbooks. Yeah? Right? Reconcile is this banking term in some ways. We use it as a banking term that, okay, I've got my checkbook, what I say I have, and then the bank tells me what I actually have, right? And when we reconcile our checkbook, these kids don't even know what a checkbook is. When we reconcile what we have versus what the bank says we have, hopefully they match, right? But really what we're doing is we're resolving a dispute. I say I have this. The bank says I have that. I'm wrong. I only have that, right? All right, so it's a resolve, resolving of a dispute in banking terms. In, in, in personal terms... Um, when we have to reconcile a relationship. That's the other time we use this word. Um, what that means is that there used to be a friendship. There used to be this connection between two people or two companies or two parties or whatever. And, and they were together. They were united. But something happened between them. Something happened. Someone hurt the other. Somebody uh, backstabbed the other. But there was some sort of, let's, let's call it sin, right? That divided them. And no longer were they together and united, but they were separate. And not only that, they weren't face-to-face. They were back-to-back. They were enemies. Two people that used to be friends and close. Like, we see this. We live in a small town, right? There are people that used to be friends, but now have become enemies. And what happens if the relationship is going to be reconciled, some party, this one or this one, is going to have to cross this divide, right? Going to have to make amends, do something take on the shame and the cost of reconciling the relationship so that they can be turned back together and reunited in relationship, correct? That's what it means to reconcile a relationship. Very difficult in our day. It doesn't happen that much. Hopefully it happens among Christians. And so what Paul is saying is that God, through Christ, reconciled us to Him. It's the gospel, right? That we used to be together. We used to be united one mind, one purpose. Everything was good, but something happened to divide us. Let's call it sin. Something happened to divide us that separated us from God, correct? And not only that, it made us enemies with God. And it made Him an enemy of us. Our sin, justly punished, makes us an enemy of God. And something had to happen to bring us back together, right? Somebody, us or God, had to cross that divide, bear the cost of bringing us back together to reconcile us. And what Paul says here, God through Christ reconciled us. How did he reconcile us? He bore the cost of what it took. See, there was this just punishment because we were enemies of God. It was death. And Jesus took that punishment. He he bore the cost of bringing us back into relationship, even though we were his enemy. That's what Paul is saying. This is the gospel message. That somehow, some way, this great exchange happens where Jesus gets our death 
and we get his life. That's what the gospel is. We don't have to experience the punishment for our sin. But he says more than that. He doesn't just say God reconciled us to himself. It says that he entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation, of reconciling others to God. So this is our purpose. You ask that question, what is my purpose? Here it is. To be a reconciler. That's not a word anybody uses. But it means that you implore people, as he's going to say, you do whatever it takes to draw people back from being enemies of God to being in relationship. If we've experienced the love of God for us, then we have to share the love of God for the world. Because it wasn't just for me. This is our purpose, to be a reconciler. And here's, he's going to keep going. and Because we're kind of way up here. Let's get more practical. Because Paul does. Verse 20. Therefore. So this is his conclusion. After all that. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here's our purpose. We are ambassadors. What is an ambassador? So uh, our, our system of government is actually, in a way, built on this, right? An ambassador is simply, as Rob Hughes says, a representative, right? It's a representative. Um, we, we, as a, a, a group of people that live in the, the great nation, I mean, great state of Texas, right? We send, we elect and we send representatives, right, to go to Washington, D.C., correct? They are our ambassador to the federal government. We elect some in the Senate, some in the House, but they're our ambassador. In, a, in an ideal world, now, because I know there's all these political shows that show corruption, and I'm like, I'm really in tune with that, okay? But in an ideal world, whoever we elect is supposed to go and represent who? Us, right? They represent our will, the will of the people of Texas, right? They represent our interests. They're not there to promote their own causes, to do their own thing, to promote Cornyn or whatever the name is. No, no, no. They represent us. They're an ambassador for us. And, and our national government works the same way, right? Uh, we send people to go and live in foreign territory. They, ambassadors don't live at home, right? They live in a foreign country. They live in enemy territory. And they go there not to represent themselves, not to promote their own business, to promote their own cause. No, they live there to speak for and represent the United States of America, correct? And so when they speak before governors and presidents and all these people, they speak on behalf of us, the United States of America. They represent our will, our wishes, our desires, our purpose. They share our message there, right, on enemy territory. Okay, let's apply that in a spiritual sense. He says we are ambassadors for Christ. What does that mean? It means that we've been sent by someone, right? We've been placed and put in a specific place. Not necessarily home. Ambassadors live in foreign countries. They live in the midst of darkness, right? And they represent the interests of the one who is sent them, right? So if Christ sends us as ambassadors to Huntington, Texas, to the high school, to the middle school, to this business, to that business, to this family, to this home, we've been placed there for one purpose and one purpose alone, 
to represent Christ. To be an ambassador. Not to speak for ourselves. No longer to live for ourselves, but to live for the one who sent us, right? That's what we represent. That's why we're there. That is mind-blowing when you're asking this question of what is my purpose. Here's what I think it means. There's a reason you live in the house you live in. There's a reason you have the neighbors you have. Why? So you can be a representative for Christ among them. Uh, There's a reason you got the job you have and not the one you don't have. Why? Because God wanted you there to be an ambassador for him. Right? There's a reason um, you like the things you like. There's a reason you go the places you go. There's a reason your kids like t-ball. Right? There's a reason your girls love softball. And what is that? So that you get to be an impact and an ambassador among a group of people that we don't interact with here on Sunday mornings. Right? You've been placed there to be a representative of Christ wherever you go. Whatever you do. Right? So in a way, it almost doesn't matter where you go and what you do. Because God is sending you there on a mission. On purpose. You're there. You're controlled by His love for you. His love for them. And you speak the message of the one who sent you. Right? That's what an ambassador does. He gets the talking points from the president. And he shares, this is our will. And that's the same thing for us. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we're called to be ambassadors, to represent Christ in every arena, in every uh, sphere of influence on this earth. That's purpose. That is our purpose. So what is the gospel? And Paul reminds us as we finish. What is it that we're supposed to be saying as we go? What is God's will? What is God's wish? Here it is, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God for our sake there's a lot of uh, personal pronouns let's, let's make them proper here you go for our sake God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God and this is the gospel so clearly stated God was perfect. And we were not. We rejected him and chose our own way. But he saw that and he saw our brokenness and he knew that ultimately the just penalty for that was death. So he stepped in. He sent a hero, a Messiah, to go and live a perfect life and die as the suffering lamb of God. And in this crazy, great exchange, Jesus takes our punishment, death, and we get his his prize, life. He takes our punishment, and there's this exchange. And us who were guilty no longer have that counted against us, but we get to walk in life, in relationship with the Father. That's our message, as we're ambassadors all over the place. If you really think about how many connections these 200 plus people in here have, the families you're in, the jobs you have, the places of influence that you have, this place Reaches the ends of the earth, literally. Uh, I This is not in my notes, but I just thought of this. Uh, I lived in Manchester. There was just a, re- a recent uh, terrorist attack in Manchester. A man who I met in Manchester, who was a pastor there, had met and talked with and knew the man who bombed. The, the 
Ariana Grande concert. It kind of shook me. <laughs> like, a man I know knows this terrorist who did this bombing. Right? Isn't that shocking? Like, two, two spheres of influence away. Right? The, the, the areas that you are ambassadors for Christ in is, is literally reaching the ends of the earth. Definitely reaching the ends of An- Angelina County. Right? God has placed you there. And, and we ask this question, what is my purpose? Where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing? Look around you. Look at the faces you see every day. There's a reason you run into that person at lunch weekly. There's a reason you interact with that, that family. There's a reason you bump into that person at the grocery store. There's a reason you, you, you're retired and you get to stay home and have this time. There's a reason for all of it. There's a purpose behind all of it. What is it? That you would be an ambassador for Christ in that area. You see, we all desire like this huge, oh, I want to, ah, maybe you don't desire this, but I think I wanted this. I want this big position and I want to have all this influence and I want to be a success. I want to be on top. And I missed it by wanting that because God had given me influence in the petroleum industry. God had given me influence among friends that knew nothing about God that were foreign exchange students, right? There were people right in front of me because I wanted, I wanted this big purpose that I was missing, Right? And God has placed you in a job and in a situation and in a family and in a, with in-laws. We haven't even touched on that, right? My wife's not in here, so I'm not going to address that. But God has placed you there on purpose to be an ambassador for Christ. And I think the challenge simply today is to examine our lives. Think about those faces. Think about those people that you keep bumping into. There's a reason for that. Think about the spheres of influence you have. Are you being an ambassador for Christ there? Quit desiring some other purpose. Like, God has given you that. He's placed you there on purpose. Now, the specifics of, 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 of figuring out where do I live, who do I marry, all that other stuff, that's much more difficult. I'll, I'll give that to you. That takes wrestling with God, walking by faith. But until God reveals, okay, you're supposed to go here, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to make this change, live where you are. Make a difference where you are. Be an ambassador right there. Let me pray for us. Um, God, thank you for today. God, thank you for this reminder of the good news. God, thank you for this reminder that even though we had been given this death sentence because of our sin, even though we had been given this terminal diagnosis, God, you came in like a doctor and said, there's a cure, there's a way, there's a hero who's come and he's willing to to take on your cancer, to take on your sin disease and he'll take the punishment and you can live his life. Thank you for that good news, God, that we don't have to take that ourselves, God, but you've provided a way for us. God, may we be challenged to live that out. May we be challenged to help others know that truth, God. Wherever we are, wherever we go, whatever we do, God, help us to see the people. And not just the activities there, God, but may we see the people. May we see our neighbors. May we see our coworkers, God, and love them by sharing the message of truth with them. God, may we love you in that way. May we live our lives no longer for ourselves, but may we live it for you, God. We love you and thank you that you were willing to die for us, God, that you were willing to save us by sending your own son, God. We love you, and we pray all this in your son's name.
testimony from Mr. Brady Tucker. Um, he's going on a mission trip this summer uh, to Ukraine, and he's going to share a little bit about that uh, with us. But somebody would come and 